Well, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. If you're new to our church, we want to invite you to jump right in. And if you jump right in, your experience might be that it feels a lot more like jumping into a moving river than it does into a nice quiet pool because there's a whole lot going on. We've been an active, moving, forward, progressing church from the beginning, but it seems like things are accelerating. Just last weekend, we had Rob Scott up here sharing about refugees. What an important, important topic. And you're invited to help us out. We've got a family that we're trying to help get oriented into into life here in the U.S. And that was just last weekend. Well, today you heard Bob and Sandy. And they're inviting you in. There's all kinds of ways you can get connected, especially right now during Lent, to try to help get more people sponsoring kids and try to help get that van because it's not just about us. Can you imagine if they can start priming the pumps now again, getting more groups coming across? What a great practical way to bless them. And as was mentioned by Brandon, our very first all-teen trip to Juarez, Mexico. We're circling up a week from today to huddle up and 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 make our plans for that trip. So that's one area. And again, just last weekend, we had, I think, 15 to 20 women who are away at Adventurous Christians for a retreat. And then this weekend, we've got the women's staycation. Just last weekend, we took about 50 tweens and middle schoolers and leaders to camp. We went to Covenant Pines for our annual snow camp. We took another big step forward, so much so that after everyone left, I was huddling up with the staff at the camp. And they said, you guys need to know that nobody does programming like you guys do. And he wasn't saying like, yeah, you really stink. Um, You should try to up your game. It wasn't that. He said the the closest thing there is, there's a huge church called Colonial. Maybe some guys know Colonial and Edina. They say in the summer they do a big thing. But no, and I'm thinking in my head, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. So exciting. A month from now, I'm going to be huddling up with Brandon and and Sarah. We're going to be talking about what's next What does this next season look like for us in youth ministry? So pumped. We have our annual meeting just a few weeks away. We've got kids planning, ECC kids planning another family night. We've got events for empty nesters and young adults. We're launching new groups. We've got a group taking to go down and feed the homeless at a homeless shelter. There's just a lot going on. And on top of all that, this week we begin the season of Lent. So pumped for this. If, if you come from a, a tradition that didn't have Lent as part of it, what Lent is about is really about helping us to prepare for Easter in a whole new way. It's about having a season leading up to Easter where we press in deeply, where we fast and we pray and we reflect so that Easter is more than a pleasant interruption, right? Oh, doing life, doing life, Easter, where there's a season that prepares us to really soak in the wonder of the resurrection and all that meant. Well, this year, our Lenten teaching series, where I'm going to do the best I can, and Brandon's got a couple weeks here too, we're going to do the best we can to dig into the book of Mark. The book of Mark. I love the book of Mark. And this Valentine's Day, pun intended here, my hope is that we'll all fall in love with Mark as we dig into this text. All right, so before we dig into the text itself, let's do a little bit of background. If you're not familiar with the book of Mark, why should we read it? There's a place in your notes to write some of these thoughts down. This is certainly an abbreviated list of why read Mark, but let me just give you a couple reasons if you're wondering why should I read Mark. Here's one. Mark is a thoroughly vetted first century account of the life of Jesus. Why does that matter? It matters because Jesus of Nazareth is the most 
influential person to have ever walked this earth. When you look at a lot of the key influencers who have walked this earth, he's the influencer behind the influencers. And there's so much that's said about Jesus. Why not go to the first century accounts? You want to be a well-informed person if you're going to have an opinion on Jesus. So why not go to the four most carefully vetted first century accounts of his life? One of them is the book of Mark. I want to encourage you to read the source material as you form conclusions about who Jesus was and what he taught and who he claimed to be. So there's, there's some thoughts on that. Now, the author of Mark, you're going to find as you dig into it, he was a real person. He was a real first century figure. His name was John. He also went by Mark. And there are multiple ancient witnesses who testify to the fact that this is the man who wrote this document. Here's a partial list of some of the people through history, early history, some influential ancients who testified to Mark's authorship. You've got Arrhenius, Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Jerome, and then there's this work called the Moratorian Canon that also mentions that. You can grab these from me afterwards. You can Google them. You're going to see these are heavy hitters. These are influential people who all testify to the fact that Mark was real. Mark wrote Mark. I want to give you an example of what one of the people said about this. Let's take a quote from Irenaeus. He was a second century figure. So this guy was alive in the 100s. And he wrote this about the book of Mark. He said, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of whom? Peter, that's important, keep that in mind, also transmitted to us what he had written about what Peter had preached. In other words, the book of Peter, this that we call the Gospel of Peter, this is P the Gospel of Mark, this is Peter's teaching. So Mark downloaded from Peter and put it out there as the book of Mark. All right, here's another one. That was from the 2nd century. Here's another example from even earlier. This guy was born around the year 70 AD, and this is so old, this quotation we're on the screen, this is so old that he got his source material from John the disciple. He called him John the Elder. We have reason to believe that that is actually John the disciple. So this guy got his information about who wrote Mark from the Elder John. So here's what he says. This is old, old, old. Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered. To one thing he gave attention, to leave out nothing of what he heard, and to make no false statements. So there's all sorts of information throughout history that says there was a real person, his name was Mark, and he's the one that wrote this, and what he wrote down was teaching that came directly from Peter. All right? So that's the next, I set up the next point here. Why read Mark? Many scholars believe that Mark's gospel reflects the teachings of Peter. Why does that matter? Because Jesus handed the baton to whom? Peter. But let me give you a reason beyond that. It's more of a, of a personal one, and maybe some of you can connect in this way too. One of the reasons why it means a lot to me that this is the teaching of Peter is I can relate to him. And I think many of you will be able to relate to Peter as well. Now, Peter had good intentions. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's my hope that you've got good intentions. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably even had a few great moments. Peter had a few great moments. So Peter had good intentions, he had great moments, and then there's all the other, right? And you're laughing because you know what I mean, right? Peter, he blew it a lot. He was confused a lot. Peter's walk with Christ was marked by inconsistency. Can any of you relate to that? All right, show of hands. Come on, let's testify. All right, we can relate. See, look at that, right? It's not just you. It's not just you. You need to know that. 
we all struggle with consistency. Peter's walk with Christ was sometimes marked with fear and with doubt and with confusion. Are any of you honest enough to admit that your walk with Christ, if you have one, is often marked by those things? Peter made huge mistakes. Even after meeting Jesus, he had significant regrets. There were even times where his actions betrayed his Lord and Savior. Anyone honest enough to admit, sometimes that's us. One of the marks of the gospel that we're exploring, this gospel of Mark, is the way it portrays Peter. If you put Mark up against the other scriptures, you're going to see that, that often Peter's teaching, he holds back on some of the nice things that the others say about him. Some of the great moments, you don't see him in Mark as much. But his weaknesses are out there for the world to see. And I think that's so important. What a powerful gospel for us to walk through together during Lent and really reflect on. Because if you reflect on this teaching that comes from a broken person like Peter, you're going to be able to see your own brokenness in there if you're honest and you start to think of yourself in this story. And the reflection that you're going to see in the gospel is as broken as this beautiful cross that we have before us that Brittany and Brenda made. This powerful, powerful, powerful image. I listed several resources at the bottom of your notes that may be helpful this Lent. One of them I want to highlight right now is this Jesus record by Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was an artist um, that was big some time ago. And right before he was killed, he um, was encouraged to go and record some songs that he'd been working on. So he took a little old tape recorder and went into this little old church. And when you buy, if you buy, download this from iTunes, make sure you listen to the demos, not just the polished stuff. Because here are these raw songs written before someone, right before he was killed that he just put down in this tape. And related to Mark and Peter, I see so much, I hear so much of Peter in these songs. I hear so much of myself in these songs. That vacillation between confidence, yep, this is the Christ, this is the Son of God, and the confusion. Why? Why didn't you do this, God? Why did you do that? What, I don't understand this teaching. Half the time I'm following you and I'm so confused. It's a beautiful, beautiful work that takes us into this life of Peter. It takes us into what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this follow, this walk that is often equal parts confidence and confusion. And before we go any further, may I present to you that you do the world a disservice if you're a follower of Jesus and you try to put up this image that isn't true. The world needs to see that we are as broken as Peter was, that, that we are doing the best we can. We have this, this confidence and this confusion. When we try to hide our struggles, when we try to hide our questions, when we try to hide our failures, when we try to hide our doubts, when we omit the stories of unanswered prayers that we have, when we fail to acknowledge our stupid decisions, the actions that we regret, our foolish pride. We're not following the example of Peter. We're not doing justice to a world who needs to see authenticity, but yet this deep confidence in the midst of the struggle. I'm so grateful that we have the teachings of Peter that are this brutally honest because it gives me hope. It gives me hope. All right, here's a third reason. I'm going to go through actually these next three really fast. Three more reasons why I recommend Mark. Number three, Mark was written for a non-Jewish audience for non-Jewish God followers. 
Jewish customs are so important to the richness of the scripture. Most of us aren't aware of them. Mark provides some helps along the way. Another reason to read Mark, Mark is action-packed. It is the most concise of all the gospels, so you're going to get a lot in a little bit of text. And related to that, Mark is also, number five, action-oriented. One of the reasons why I love this book is Mark is not just recording history, what he's doing is he's calling for a response. That's ultimately why it was written. Mark wrote so that we could become true disciples whose lives are marked by the example and teachings of Jesus. All right, so there's a few reasons why I recommend reading the book of Mark. Let's quickly talk a little bit about who he was, because this really matters. This really matters, who this author was. And this was fun. When I, when I, when, when I first saw where Mark, like his backstory, light bulbs went off as to why he was writing this gospel and why he would be following the teachings of Peter. If you've never seen this before, this is very fun. Let's have our Bibles and let's open up to uh, Acts chapter 12. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the most carefully vetted history of the early church that exists on the planet. So here is the story of the early church. We're picking up 12 chapters in. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. There's amazing things going on, but also persecution breaks out. And that's where we pick up with the story. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to let you know that we've got a stack of them each and every week. We have them at the entrances and exits. They're there for you. Please take one as a gift. Here we go. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, I think we're going to look at. We're going to see the appearance of a certain young man who wrote a certain gospel. All right, verses 1 through 5. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest who also? Peter. Okay, remember that. Peter. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Okay, so again, Jesus has already been killed. And now it's open season on church leaders. James is executed. Peter is thrown into prison. He may be on death row. This does not look good. And the church begins praying. The church begins praying. Any guesses who was part of that prayer group? Any guesses? Mark. God answers their prayer with a miraculous jailbreak. In fact, angels bust Peter, an angel, bust Peter out of jail. And here's what happens next. The miraculous jailbreak, Peter's free. Let's jump ahead to Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When Peter realized that his escape was real and that he's out of prison, this isn't just a vision, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Here's why this is fascinating to me. Imagine you're this young adult, and you have been swept into this movement. You've heard these stories. Maybe you even saw a crowd or two at times when Jesus was there, but there's all these stories surrounding Jesus of Nazareth, how when he was crucified, which everyone saw and was dead, there's all these accounts of people saying, I saw him. He rose again. 
And then the Holy Spirit comes and people are speaking in these tongues and there's miracles happening in town. So you're part of this movement. But now persecution breaks out and leaders are being killed and thrown in jail. And Peter, who's the leader of the movement, he's on death row. And so you're praying for his release. And imagine this. You're in this room. You're praying for his release. And all of a sudden you hear... Someone goes to the door, and who is it? It's Peter. And they don't even let him in. They're so excited. They come back. You've got to read the account. It's really funny. They come back, and Peter's still knocking out there, and they're like, Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. Well, go let him in. So imagine being John Mark. You're praying for a miraculous release. He's guarded by 16 Roman soldiers, so you've got four squads, so four soldiers are guarding him. Round the clock, an angel busts him out. Are you kidding me? Do you think you're going to be like, I, I'm, Peter, talk to me. I'm going to write this down. What did you just say? Okay, okay, okay. Do you see why he would want to follow this guy around? This is history. No wonder Mark was so marked with events like that. And there's a few other times he's mentioned the scriptures as well. I put those in your notes, and I want to encourage you to look those up because it's going to give you background, backstory into this author, the things that shaped him. Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Look at that. Mark lost Paul's trust. Talk about being broken. He had an experience of himself, but later regained his favor. And then you got Peter calling Mark, my son. In one of Peter's own letters, he's referring to Mark as my son. All right, so there's a really brief intro to Mark. Let's now dig into the text with the little time we've got left, but we do have the rest of the series too. Here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Isn't that a love when we get to say that with text. Let's just go right one, one. Here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How's that for an opening line? That is bold. He leads with the headline. There's no, no, no guessing where he's going with this. He's like, Jesus is the Christ. I'm telling you, he's the Son of of God, and there's even more there than we might realize. This may be the first time in recorded history right here where the word gospel is applied to the story of Jesus. This was a word that people were using. The word gospel meant good news. It was a Greek word. If a herald came bringing good news, that was the gospel. It was, it was just a word. And they later used the word, Christians began using the word very early to say, hey, the, the news that Jesus is bringing, the message Jesus is bringing, that's good news. This might have been the first time in history where someone referred to the story of Jesus himself as the good news. Why do we call the Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, the Gospels? It might be because of this right here. Here's one of the historians that speaks to that. A scholar, Craig Blomberg, says this. Mark may have been the first Christian to use the word gospel as a term for the story about Jesus rather than for the message that Jesus himself brought. So Mark is connecting, possibly for the first time in history, this word good news to the whole story of Jesus' life. Now, before we move on from verse 1, I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes if you haven't already. Mark makes a bold claim that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of God. For the record, when, not if, when people tell you, Jesus, yeah, he was just another... Um, historical figure, he was another teacher, he was another do-gooder, whatever. None of the original vetted accounts paint Jesus that way. They all paint Jesus like this, that he was the Christ, the Son of God. The term Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah. 
And Mark doesn't just throw this word around. He puts it out here at the headline at the very beginning, and then this word doesn't show up again in Mark until a dramatic confession from Peter in chapter 8, verse 29, when Jesus turns to Peter and says, How about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Let's go back to our text. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, picking up with verse 2. As it was written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, that quotation is quoting the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament today. And it's a mashup. It says here that it's a, what was written in Isaiah, he actually brings together a mashup of Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3.1, and that's important. Now, the first thing I want to have you notice here is that in context, both the prophecy from Isaiah and the prophecy from Malachi are referring to God, that God is going to send a messenger saying, prepare the way of the Lord, all caps, meaning the covenant name of the God of Israel. Mark is setting up the messenger to prepare the way for who? Jesus. If you ever heard people talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, this is one of the reasons why we believe that it's one God and three persons, because Mark is saying, this is God. He's the Son of God, and He's God, if you look at it in context. Now, in context, it's also interesting to note that Isaiah 40, verse 3, is very comforting. When he's, I'm preparing, this messenger is going to come, preparing, announcing that I'm coming. This is a comforting thing. But then there's Malachi. Malachi, not so comforting. Take a look at the context around Malachi chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears he is like a refiner's fire. All right. We're three verses in. And my tally sheet has this. Mark has already applied a new meaning to the term gospel, possibly for the first time in history. Mark has made the bold claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's made even a bolder claim that Jesus is God. He's connected the coming of Jesus to two Old Testament prophecies, one of which is a prophecy with comfort overtones, and the other is a prophecy with judgment overtones. We're only three verses in. Wow. Let's keep going. John appeared, verse 4. So this messenger appears in the form of John, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem was going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, remember that, and wore a leather belt around his waist, remember that too, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, there's so much here. This opening 
I mean, we're, again, now we're eight verses in. The opening of Mark, it's kind of like when I saw Star Wars for the first time. Movies back in, in those old days used to start usually pretty slow. Let's introduce all the characters, blah, 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 blah. Star Wars, boom, here's the headline. Big yellow letters on the screen, orchestra. And then as soon as the headline's announced, then there's spaceships coming and shooting at each other. And Wow. Mark is a lot like this. Big headline, and then just jumps right in. N.T. Wright puts it this way. John's ministry burst in on the surprised Jewish world. Many had been looking for a sign from God. They hadn't expected it to look like this. Many had wanted a Messiah to lead them against the Romans, but they weren't anticipating a prophet telling them to repent. And it is not an exaggeration to say we could take the next weeks between now and Easter just focusing on that idea. What kind of Messiah are people expecting? You know, what kind of expectations do they put on Jesus? Usually it's, if if he's a savior, he should save me from this and this and this in this way. He should deliver me from this enemy and this enemy and this enemy and this enemy and do it in this way. And the invitation of the opening of the Gospel of Mark, the invitation of Lent is to say, whoa, let's back up. And let's ask questions like the one that we asked us. Many of us were here for an Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday. And I put this question out there. Are we following Christ or are we asking God to bless our plans? Isn't that a great question? And this is the type of question you ask in Lent. Am I just going through life saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Where are you? Or am I stopping to say, is this even the path I should be on? Or is God leading me down this direction? And to just back up and say, is there some repentance? Is there some turning? Repentance in the biblical sense is you're going one way. It's the wrong way. You turn and go the right way. What a great time to ask those questions. All right, picking up verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up from the water immediately, and that word gets used a lot in there. We're going to look at that whole week. We're going to spend on immediately. There's like 40 of them in 16 chapters. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Remember that part, torn open. And the Spirit descending him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. Now, there's a lot here too, surprise. Please take a moment, I encourage you to write this down. There's so much in, in Mark. The book of Mark is filled with Easter eggs. Pun intended. The book of Mark is loaded with Easter eggs. My daughter's introduced me to the concept of Easter eggs in the digital age. What that is, is if you don't already know, um, in a movie, often there's these things. Disney does this a ton. In fact, if you get bored with a sermon, just hit Google um, Disney Easter eggs. And you, in, 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 uh, in Disney, they have all of these pictures from like other movies that are in here or all these things that are basically hidden. They're there in plain sight, but it moves so fast. If you're not looking carefully, you don't see them. Mark is loaded with Easter eggs. And we just came across a bunch of them in what we just read. Mark is loaded with Easter eggs. One of the reasons why I put the resources on the bottom of this sheet, here are some things that can help you with your Easter egg hunt. The ESV Study Bible, uh, Mark for Everyone, there's these great resources out there that help us unpack. Let me just look at a couple Easter eggs that we've already seen here. Um, One of them is this. Does anyone remember what John was wearing? John the Baptist, this messenger who was going to prepare the way of the Lord. He was wearing camels, hair, and a leather belt. Now, why does that matter? It matters because there was an expectation that when the Christ came, he would be preceded by the return of the prophet Elijah. 
Here's an Easter egg that I missed for 47 years, although my first three years I wasn't really much of a reader. John was wearing, get this, John was wearing Elijah's outfit. I'm serious. Look at this. First King, or Second Kings. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Second Kings, chapter 1, verse 8. Elijah wore a garment of what? Hair. And had a belt of leather around the waist. They knew their scriptures. They knew their prophecies. And those with ears to hear, they picked up on these types of things. The prophets had been silent, they believed, since the time of Malachi. And here comes John. After a quotation from Malachi, dressed like Elijah, proclaiming and fulfilling the word of God. Here's another example of another one that's easy to miss. Let's put Mark chapter 1, verses 8 or 9 through 11, and Mark chapter 15, 37 through 39 on the same screen. Take a look at this. <clears throat> there's all of these echoes that happen in Mark, all these things. And, and you think they're so subtle that... Helps bring the scripture together, but you might miss them. Look at this. Here's just an example. Jesus was baptized. Immediately, he saw the heavens being what? Torn open. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. So here is God validating Jesus. And then at the end of his life, Jesus breathes his last. Mark 15. The curtain of the temple was what? Torn. And the centurion now testifies. A centurion now testifies and says, this man is the Son of God. See any similarities there? Mark is very, very, very intentional about the terms he uses, how he uses them. Here's a great quote that sums up some of these uses of the Son of God. It says this, the Son of God, or just Son, occurs at strategic places in the gospel to highlight Jesus' exalted role. Son of God forms part of Mark's headline to the gospel in 1-1 and reoccurs again as part of the Roman centurion's climactic confession at the time of Jesus' death. And in between, the heavenly voice refers to to Jesus as son at both his baptism and his transfiguration. And get this, elsewhere, the title only occurs on the lips of whom? Demons. Everyone's testifying. Even the demons are testifying. This is the son of God. And as God's beloved son, Jesus functions in Mark as the one who has been sent by God, acts for God, speaks on behalf of God, and is vindicated by God. A Markian Easter egg hunt will keep you occupied for a long, 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 long time. Here's another example. Um, let's go to verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This opens up this Easter egg where there's all kinds of these other trails going off it. There is an, a whole new Exodus thread that we could follow now if we wanted to through the Gospels here. An exodus thread. God is about to deliver his exiled people from the power of a foreign empire and their idols. Jesus is led into the wilderness as a new and better Moses. The number 40 connects with both 40 days Moses spent on the mountain and 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness. There's even a Jordan River connection. Salvation's coming. Salvation's coming but it's not in the way that most people expected. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, 
proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John, when he comes on the scene, he says, repent. When Jesus comes on the scene, this is the first recorded words of Jesus in what probably is the oldest of the gospels. And in there, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Again, to repent in the biblical sense is to turn from sin, is to turn towards God, to become an all-out follower of Jesus Christ who holds nothing back. And that brings us to the last section of Scripture we're going to look at today because this is an example of that. This is an example of people who encounter the living Christ and they believe that Jesus is saying, follow me this way, they leave everything and they follow him. Picking up with verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired servants, and followed him. Now, here's why this matters, and this is why this is such a big deal. Oh, so they were fishermen, and they stopped fishing. (laughs) Bigger deal than that. Very few people in Jewish Palestine were rich. Most people in Jewish Palestine were very poor. Some people, like these fishermen, appear to have been somewhere in between, which would have been a really good place to be. And we see that because James and John, they've got hired servants. If you were a Galilean fisherman, your father was probably a fisherman, as was your father's father, as was his father's father, several generations back. And Zebedee Fishing Incorporated appears to have been one of the few thriving businesses in town. You didn't just start a business back in that day. The acquisition of capital took generation, generation, generation. For these men to hear Jesus say, follow me away from the family business, away from that source of income, away from possibly your father's favor, your own boat, that's a big deal. And that's the call that we see continuing through Mark, a call to be a true disciple of Jesus. Are you willing to leave everything and follow me, whatever I ask? Are you willing to lay it aside I'd encourage you to write down this last talk point in your notes. Disciples of Jesus have been marked. Disciples of Jesus have been marked. And there's wordplay there that's intentional. The first layer of meaning is that you've been marked already, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. You've been marked. Why do I say that? Because you're here. God in his sovereignty brought you to a place where you've now heard for the first time or for the first time again this message of Jesus. You've been marked in the sense that you have been brought into a generation where you have more access to the scriptures and the meaning behind the scriptures than anyone in the history of the world. You have more and better access to the best scholarship at your fingertips. You've been marked because of that still small voice that's sometimes in your heart, sometimes in your head that says there's something to this. As much as I wouldn't like this to be true. There's something to this. That's the Holy Spirit. You've been marked on that layer. And so then the question is, what's your response to that going to be? Are you going to press into this 
and try to really search, could it be that he is the Christ, the Son of God? If he is, what's the one and only response to that? It is to say, everything I have comes from you. And the life that I desire is found in you. And so I got marked in high school. And I remember how that changed me. I remember how that changed me. I remember <laughs> going to uh, Easter services, my first Easter service after I had a personal conversion and how different that was. And looking back now, I didn't even write this in my notes this morning. Looking back now, I look back at that account and I had really actually started to kind of do my own Lent because I dug into the Bible like I never before. No one was telling me, but I started to read the scriptures daily. I started to pray like I'd never prayed before. Something told me, hey, start giving a percentage of your income. I, I, I stopped. It changed the way I spoke. I remember wor at work once when I was a, a teenager, they were like, why don't you swear? No, what happened was, I remember, they, I, someone swore next to me, and they're like, sorry. I'm like, sorry? I hadn't even realized that I had stopped swearing. You know, sorry. It was just things changed. And I remember as God was doing those changes in my life that were being again, seen by others, it changed how Easter felt. And I remember that first Easter when I came after converting to Christ and I, and I got out, this was the 80s, you got to remember, I got out my pink baby, baby blue and baby pink plaid shirt, put that baby on, and then my yellow cardigan over the top, oh, I was looking good, rolled up my jeans just right, and I went to church and I was pumped because I knew when I told someone, when I said to someone, he's risen, I knew what they were going to say back. They were going to say, He's risen indeed. And there was something in me now. I was excited to hear that because it wasn't just a line. It wasn't just a, a thing. That, it wasn't a ritual. It wasn't religion. It was a reality that we were proclaiming. Here's my challenge. Many of us were here at Ash Wednesday. A lot of us were here. And we had a chance to physically get marked by the cross of Jesus Christ on our forehead with the same ashes from the, the same palm branches that we waved a year ago at Palm Sunday. We had a chance to be marked. And when we left this room, we were marked. We walked out. People could see, okay, what's up with that? When we went to get our gas tanks filled, people could see this. When we went to, to get groceries, whatever we did, people could see this mark on our heads. What if that mark wasn't ashes? What if that mark was the changed life? What if that mark was our young men treating young women with respect? in a way that the rest of their friends didn't? What if it was young women treating men with respect in a way that their friends didn't? What if it was when we came through the checkout lane, it wasn't ashes on our forehead, but we had the fruit of the Spirit. And if something wasn't going right, we had peace and joy and patience and self-control. And let's, let's raise the level here. How many of y'all are going to die? Show of hands. If you didn't put your hands up, sorry to lay that on you, but you're going to die. <laughs> you know, you're going to die. Well, this, um, this week, this week, uh, I, well, the week prior, I had had some pain in my mouth. And I, uh, when the pain started to subside, all of a sudden this thing started to grow pretty rapidly in, in my mouth. And I'm thinking, that's ah, just a thing, you know. And so, so finally it got big enough where I'm like, Laura, you want to take a look at this? And she looked at it and she whoa, you better go have that looked at. That's not usually a comforting thing to hear, right? When you have a growth that's 
like growing. And so, so I made an appointment to go to the dentist. And the hygienist, very comforting too. She looked at me, she goes, whoa, I better get the dentist. I'm like, okay. And the dentist comes in, long-time dentist, awesome guy. He looks and he says, oh, this is not good. This is not good. But here's the thing. Through all that, I had peace. I had peace because, one, it's probably not a big deal. There's something they can fix. But, you know, there's always that thought that comes in your head when something starts growing very rapidly on your face, you know, that you kind of says, well, what if it's this? But I had a peace. And here's where I'm going with, with all of that. Can you imagine if we were all so marked that when the day came, and it wasn't just something that maybe is like a root canal or something that's needed, what if the day came when we got the news that that's it, this is it for you. You have a month, you have a week, you have days. A moment where the car is about to collide with the other car and you've got three seconds. What if we were so marked by this gospel that we had peace and even a little expectation? Can you imagine what that would say to the world? If when we were in the hospitals and we got what people thought is the worst news for us, it was, well, I'm doing the best I can right now to, to leave no regrets. I've done the best I can to care and raise for my family. I've done the best to live in such a way where I, I, this is just stuff. And I have peace. I know where I'm going. Can you imagine how the world would see us differently, right? So let's press in. Let's make this a season where we don't just, oh, it's Easter. What? Next week? What if we make this a season? Let's press into this account and see if we can come away marked. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I thank you, thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you that you, in your sovereignty, downloaded this message this gospel message through your servant Peter into a young man who you just happened to get in that room on that day. And we thank you that he responded by writing these things down and by living a life where he got a chance to see firsthand your wonders. Lord, we pray that more than ever before you're going to pull us in. Even those of us who've been walking with you a long time, we pray that more than ever before we're going to be pulled into this gospel, into this good news, and may it change us, may it mark us, so that our lives could be a testimony to your saving and transforming grace and love. And Father, as my friends go forth in this place, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may your love, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great, great week.